Yeah. So. Great. Hello and welcome to Lecture in Progress. I'm your host, Will Hudson. Lecture in Progress is an educational resource to help the next generation of creatives make better career decisions by inspiring and informing them of the breadth of opportunities that exist in the creative industry. We've launched the first version of the website alongside a Kickstarter campaign to get the project off the ground. There are some great rewards. Please do check them out at lectureinprogress.com. This podcast series includes a number of conversations with creatives about how they got to where they are and how they've come to do what they do from graphic designers and illustrators to photographers and filmmakers. This podcast series includes a number of conversations with creatives about how they got to where they are and how they've come to do what they do. My guest in this episode is filmmaker Andrew Telling, and I started as always by asking them to describe what it is that they do. Uh, can I do my name anyway? Can I just yeah. So, uh, my name is Andrew Telling. I am a London-based filmmaker slash director. When looking at your site, when looking at the kind of the work that you do, it's split between commercial campaigns, documentaries, and branded content. Um, I know you also shoot, edit, and do the soundtracks where necessary, although not always. What is a what is a what is a good week for you? What's how, ideally how do you spend your time? Um, good week um that's a good question it's a mixture of things i i have i have projects directly with clients so some of those may be sorting out a budget uh, organizing a shoot or maybe i'm working on an edit or even a bit of sound for that edit so it just be a combination of sort of juggling those things and obviously talking directly with a client getting feedback trying to make sure they're happy with where the film is at um the other part is sometimes I may have a treatment come in through Caviar and Caviar like uh, a production company that represent me as a director. So if that happens, you have to you have a few calls with them and the agency involved um, to get a scope of what the project is. And then you'll go away. You normally have one or two days to write the idea, but you'll be working alongside a writer and also visual researcher and also the executive producer at Caviar. Uh, just to ensure that the treatment and your idea fit within the budget and also they think it's good enough. So it's really uh, a massive collaboration on that side. Um, I do tend to take one morning off each week to ride my bike. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> just to um, just to clear my head and, yeah, just to get out of the studio, really. I've kind of stolen the idea of Rafa. Sorry about that, guys. But <laughs> is, that, uh, is that a recent thing or is that something that you've done for quite a long time now? Uh, last two years. So, um, and yeah, I just saw they were doing it and I obviously I've got into cycling because of it and it really, yeah, it's just really good just to get up one morning of the week and just to go out come back for lunch and you know the emails are still there they're not going anywhere it's just good to clear your head especially more so in the summer more than the winter but um yeah and then some of the week is also spent just on research but that research is anything it's like meeting up with friends it's you know going to rough trade it's just getting lost in the internet on the various uh tumblr odyssey sort of blogsphere i don't know and but then also this going out and maybe just trying to get out of London as well. So it's always, it's kind of, that's kind of the week and it's always a mixture. If there is a shoot, normally those shoot days are like 12 to 13 hours. So you kind of have to um, work your week around that because there's always stuff to do with equipment being delivered and like where, you know, where are we shooting, et cetera, and all that stuff. So if that's happening, then I tend to work the week around that and then the week may go into the weekend. But Is there a particular part of that process that you 
enjoy more than others? Are there, are there certain stages of projects that you really relish and other bits that you kind of battle through knowing they're part, part of the process? Uh, I love I love shoots. I just love the long hours and I like the hard graft of it. And I like the sort of the family mentality of it. Sort of being a freelancer and being well, yeah, sort of essentially working by yourself. For majority of the time, it's great going on a shoot and working with new people or working with people that you've worked with before and also like new talent and just trying to have a good working relationship with your client. I just think that's really good because shoots really put you in a different position way, way, way far away from your iMac or your laptop. Yeah. You're, pre- you're presented with different challenges and different stresses and it's just like, how do you deal with this? And I just think it's a really good test of character but really rewarding by the end of the day when you come back and you've got all the shots you want and more and you feel like you've done a good day's graft. Um, you, you talk about that team and the kind of family, uh, the family mentality. What, uh, what do you think it is, kind of what characteristics or traits are, are in good people that you happen to work with? Um, oh my, uh, be able to have a laugh. <laughs> High levels of sarcasm are really good because, you know, you have to be dry about certain things. <laughs> and... Um, you know, we all get stressed and we all get stressed in different ways. And I just, yeah, I think it's really having an understanding. And if that person can see that I'm stressed or I, if I can see the Thomas or Jeremy stressed, then like it's really just trying to be able to sort of support them or, or work them or just give them the space to get through that bit because, you know, we're all entitled to have that. So it's, it's just a balance of things, being able to work hard, have a laugh, being professional. But and also like, you know, I, we want our client to like have a good time, like making films is fun, you know, like I know it's a job, but I'm really, I, I love what I do. So I, I think that's a real element that you kind of forget sometimes. So I want shoots to be kind of like that. Yeah. So I think it's really important to kind of remember the, the reasons why you do what you do. I think sometimes you can get caught up in, in stuff. And when you step back, uh, you haven't made the most of those kind of opportunities of being on set and, and with that family. Um, we're very much going to come on to talk about the work that you currently do um, and, and kind of have done recently. If you go all the way back, was filmmaking part of your kind of growing up? Were you, did you always know that that's what you wanted to be or how did it kind of manifest itself? Um, filmmaking didn't come till like uh, early 20s, I think, mid-20s. So I guess before that it was, <laughs> I had like, uh, I was just really late to the party, generally. <laughs> generally. You're making I, up for it now, though. It's... I, yeah, I think I've just sort of worked quite hard the last five years. But before that, I, did, I didn't know what I was doing in my early 20s. And I think, you know, that, that's all right. Looking back now, I was quite um, stressed about it a lot because I didn't, I didn't do the, the degree I wanted to do. And I only kind of realized that after I finished and I didn't really finish with a portfolio. And I just, I, wasn't, I was never really sure what I was doing, but I was always kind of like, having fun and just trying to get the most experience out of things. But I think at the beginning, I wanted to be like a graphic designer and then I wanted to be like a web developer. And then I like wanted to be in a band, but I realized that's never going to happen. <laughs> and then I worked in a record shop for a bit and I realized it's just like the film high fidelity and that's yeah. not for me. And then, yeah, this fell into filmmaking. So, so you did do a degree at Kingston University in media and culture studies you say you didn't really kind of come out with a portfolio or anything. So, so once you've, once you've graduated from there, where, how does film suddenly start to kind of is actually, it's not just one of those things that you work through thinking it's what you want to do. How do you, what was your kind of entry into filmmaking? Um, 
Well, there's an, uh, there was a module on the degree of filmmaking with DV back in the day before 5D, 7Ds, people filming stuff on DV tapes. And there was a module on that. And we did do it. But I remember at the time, we didn't, we didn't really click. But sort of later on, um, I got a job as a sort of runner production assistant in a small agency. And there was a guy there who was just shooting all these interviews, corporate interviews and doing kind of motion graphics. He was kind of a one-man band. He could do it all. And I just kind of got under his wing for a year and just sort of learned how to sort of operate the camera, how to edit, how to sort of uh, produce small scale shoots, how to like, uh, how to sort of just deal with the whole process from start to finish and sort of work with an art director and work with a client. And I was sort of just thrown in the deep end with him. And I just sort of picked everything up in that year. And I was like, all oh, right, okay, this is, this is what I want to do now. But like, how, where do I go next? Like, what's the next company? And then, you know, like, uh, do I become a runner in Soho or not? Like, because I wasn't, I was a runner in an agency in, in East London. But then the recession happened. And how, sorry, just how, how did sorry. you kind of get that job? Was that just, was that just by chance or were you, oh, no. were you looking for it? The, the, the glamorous story is I, so I, I graduated from Kingston. I was really working in Banquet Records for the people that go to Kingston, know <laughs> that amazing empire. Uh, I stayed another year at Banquet Records, worked full time, which was great. Bought amazing records, met some great people that I'm still friends with and had like some real good life experiences there. Worked a job in Pizza Express, <laughs> paid off my credit card, made lots of music and bought sort of basic equipment for a small music studio. And then I applied for internships in London over a period of nine months. And then I got lucky. I got lucky with one interview and I was on a uh, trial for three months, commuting from Haven yeah. <laughs> uh, up to Waterloo. And then they gave me, uh, they gave me a job. And then that was it. And I just kind of hit the ground running. I was really hungry for it. But even then, I remember looking back, I was thinking, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit too old to be, you know, like, what's the 23, 24, you know, is that too old to be a runner or like, but I was just, I knew I wanted to get up to London and just jump into it and then see what was happening. So you were there for, how, do you remember how long you were in that job? And then, yeah, it was, uh, it was 16 months, I think. And from there, you, you went and worked in another agency or, or you well, kind of you took it. that bold step to, to start doing stuff for yourself? The recession happened in 2008, 2009? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so the recession happened and um, the, ba- the company folded and then we were told with one day's notice, like, you don't, you, we can't pay you, uh, you don't have a job, uh, you need to leave the building by Friday. And, and was, that, was, was that terrifying or was that kind of exciting to be like, okay, now... It was a mixture. It was, I was like, I'm so bored, but also like, how the hell am I going to pay my rent? And like, what am I going to do now? And also a lot of my other friends around me at the time were also losing their jobs as well. Or, and all the people that were having some success, their success was quieting down. So it was like, it was quite in some way, I wasn't in it alone. Like we, there, was, there was a few of us that were going through this, but it was like, what do I do now? But then looking back now, it's been a blessing. Like I had the, t- like I signed on, I found a part-time job that I worked one day a week. Um, and then I just started making films um, on artists, <laughs> uh, still on DV tapes and borrowed cameras. And I had the software at home so I could just cut it myself. And I started making the music for it because I had the time to make the music for these films. 
And that's what I started doing. And, and how were you identifying the artists? Were they friends or were they just people that you liked the work of or? Yeah, I, um, so yeah, I guess the first one is uh, the first film, the first two, so it's Dave House. He, was, he worked in Banker Records. He, he had just done an album. He was about to do a UK tour and a US tour. So we kind of did like a music star documentary on him. And I did that over like nine months. And then the other was my old flatmate, an artist called Word to Mother, who uh, does a lot more illustrative kind of work. And he had a show coming up at Stolen Space Gallery. And um, it just sort of, we were just hanging out in the process of it, like really just sort of. Was that an outdoor mural? Was that, was one of them? He's done a few. Because I, I think that's where we, I think that's one of the first pieces of work that we saw of yours. Um, and it was, it was just a kind of, uh, it was, um, that's what I'm talking about it. It was a very kind of a, com- it was obvious that you were kind of young and emerging, but there was enough to it. There was enough in the kind of storytelling, the production to it. Um, and did you find that people were looking at them and then, cause they were obviously all self-motivated, um, self-initiated to try and build up presumably work that you're interested in doing anyway, but also work that would lead to to commissioned work. How long did that take? How long did it take for people to start seeing them and actually saying, hey, we've got this job, we've got this thing that we want you to do? Um, it took a while. It took like, so I guess from the recession to like, um, I left London for a bit, came back, then I got another job as a runner, even older, which was... <laughs> Is that something that was always playing on your mind? Yeah, it's quite weird. <laughs> but then it's, you know, I had a really... the the boss of that company was really cool. And I think he, he got my bigger picture without ever us having to have conversations. That was really nice. And he knew I was going off shooting films, but there was like, I, it was about three, it's a three year period from the recession to having another job where I, I think I made like fr- maybe three films <laughs> on, on artists. And, um, and it just took time, but then I was, what I didn't realize is I was learning. I was learning how to work what my craft was. And I was making a lot of mistakes and I was being totally ambitious, way ambitious <laughs> than I had the time or resources for. But like, I just kind of, I kind of got through it and I worked evenings and I worked weekends and I, I borrowed a friend synthesizer to get that part right. And, you know, I borrowed the camera and then I begged for a grade, you know, like it kind of, it kind of paid off eventually. What, what were those big mistakes you made? What are the, what are the things that you remember doing that you kind of go? Just trying to do everything well. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I still, um, it, I think it's one of the things that we, when we've worked with you, it's, I think it's one of those, I look at it and I think it's quite rare that you, you still get someone that is prepared on certain projects to shoot, edit, do a soundtrack and actually the ease of just having one person to talk to. So it seems, and obviously I think you alluded to on those, those shoots where it's, where you refer to it as like a big family and a collaborative effort. There are obviously those projects that's completely the opposite to that, where you find your role, but it's, it's funny that you say that it's like the mistakes we're trying to do too much. And it's like, there are still certain projects that I can remember on where it is like, you are still doing everything where, and I don't know how you, there's obviously a part of you that enjoys doing everything it's it's and that's quite nice to see that's I enjoy the stress <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean yeah it's um I think in the early days I think it was like I f- the music was a really unique selling point as a filmmaker you have a lot of filmmakers out there that come from photography graphic design and you know and for the majority of them they're really exceptionally great you know I didn't come from 
that I didn't study graphic design. I didn't do an art degree. I've never been in the crypt with an art teacher. I've just kind of had this DIY ethos from like my early days of being in really bad punk bands. <laughs> so just, that's how I approach things in life. Like, okay, this is, we can do this. We can do a version of that. Um, and then you sort of work out how to raise the production value of it. And then, you know, to grow, you, you get a team around you. So I kind of, even to this day, there's still projects that I, I still do myself, but that's because I feel comfortable doing them. And there's a really nice relationship with the client or the agency. But the majority of time, it's more about having a team now and, and a rolling cast of people, you know, that when you need to get them in, you can. And it's also a lot to do with, bu- with budgets as well, the, yeah. bo- the boring word. But. Uh, I'm fascinated that you, you say there that you've, n- you've not been involved in crits with art teachers and stuff like that, and even a kind of peer group to talk about your work. As a result, do you seek any feedback and advice, or does it come naturally through people that you kind of respect in the way in which you talk about your work? Do you think you take feedback well? Kind of how, how, how do you kind of, how have you found developing as a filmmaker without necessarily those conversations? I think in the early days I would send cuts to a, a lot, like a good circle of people that, you know, filmmakers, journalists, graphic designers, like, oh, I don't, like the spectrum of creative people. Like I would send them around and I'd really, really needed that because I had, I never had that sounding board. So definitely in the, in the early days. And I think as I've sort of gone along and people have got sick of me sending them rough cuts, um, I've decided I've sort of held back a bit, but I also think maybe I've, my confidence has, has risen a bit and I've, I kind of know what I'm doing a bit more and I'm more comfortable dealing with a client and I'm able to like let go emotionally because I think that's tough for anyone really doing any kind of commercial work, especially if you feel like this, this could be the one, this could be really great. I think it's, it's sort of a balancing, it's a balancing act. And I think that's just come with time, just getting that experience. Um, I think, yeah, as for like not, never being in an art and stuff like that. I mean, that's a very different experience altogether. And, you know, sometimes I, I really wish I had that. And I really, sometimes I really wish I went to to study like maybe graphic design or, or filmmaking, but then I just I don't think I would be the sort of filmmaker I am today because of it. So. I, I agree totally. I think and I think that's what makes um, but everything from filmmakers to graphic designers. I think where if you get into too much of a kind of um, factory mentality that everyone enters and exits through the same places, you get a, you, there's a danger that you get a, a way of thinking that becomes way too generic. I think when you when you draw off different people's backgrounds and interests and ways in, you suddenly start, they see things differently or approach things differently. And I, I think that's where it becomes interesting. Um, were there, um, was there a project, so you did those three art films, was there a project that you felt was that turning point that you kind of, where did you go from those three projects to actually feeling like it can become the career? So for those three projects, you were still doing kind of, part-time, full-time work in order to pay rent yeah. and, and get on. When were you able to, to leave that and actually focus solely on filmmaking? Um, yeah, I, uh, so I was, I was working at a place called Sting Digital, who do really great work. And uh, I was there for about 16 months. And then the last film, I did a film with an, an Irish artist called Connor Harrington. And he had seen one of my earlier films from two years ago. I met him once. And he was like, yeah, I got this crazy idea. I want to go to the Middle East and I want to like paint some walls and I haven't painted 
outside for years. And I think it'd be really, make a really good film. Are you interested? And at this point, I was so, and I don't think I was even living in London. I was commuting. I didn't have any money. I was like, okay, yeah, I could do this. Maybe I could sell some equipment to fund the film, you know, <laughs> not thinking that most people would be like, okay, what's your budget? You know, I was yeah. just like, I just need to take this opportunity. And, um, you know, and then it just kind of happened. And then we went away for nine days and we shot on both sides of the wall in Tel Aviv and also in Bethlehem in Palestine. And it was, I mean, we were <laughs> way in deep. We had no, we had no idea. At what point did you realize this is maybe not <laughs> the best place to be? When we had to, when we went to see this uh, sort of political personal influence and we had to go to this underground car park and there were guys outside the bottom of the lift, like six of them all with like these massive machine guns. And then they got on the lift with us. And then we went upstairs to the top floor of this huge building in the middle of nowhere. And then they opened the door and then there's even more guys with machine guns. But then there's all, the, then there's this. And you're there with kind of bear kit, just like you can Yeah, and then with my camera and Connor's like, film it, film it, film it. I'm like, I'm not filming it. I'm not filming this at all. <laughs> the interesting thing about our fixer, who I can't name, he, he helped Banksy and that, so we had this, Connor had this amazing kind of contact and, and just to be able, like the way Connor painted the wall, it, we turned up with a ladder and, and that was it. When they dropped lunch off for us, it was a couple of kebabs and foil wraps and they didn't stay, they just left us to it. So it's just me and Connor by the wall for two days straight with no interference, no soldiers, no troops or anything. It was just surreal. But I mean, we just were so like young and naive, but we were just so wanting to make, we knew this film could be really good. And, and it was just really exciting. The other thing is I didn't really know much about Connor. I didn't know his kind of status at that time or like how successful he was. Like he was a friend of Word to Mothers and um, he just seemed like a, a decent guy, a genuine guy. I was like, well, this could be really good. Uh, and he was into the fact that I could make the music for the films and it was it was more of the care and craft about it but sorry like we did that and then it took me uh, nearly a year to make because i had a full-time job and i was making loads of mistakes with the edit and stuff and it just took me a long time to make when you say you were making mistakes what you were, you were spending time editing it and then when you came to look at it you were like this isn't right this doesn't make sense or yeah like i love there's a, do there's a documentary called Meeting People is Easy by Grant Gee. It's on Radiohead about their OK Computer Tour. And it's like this pastiche of loads of travel montages in the studio and stuff like that. And, and I kind of felt like our trip had very similar similarity to that. And I I was trying to make my Meeting People is Easy on street art <laughs> in the Middle East. And I like soon realized six months in that A, my music doesn't sound like Radiohead. And B, I'm not Grant Gee. But then I kind of, I feel like I did my homage to it. And I think that's kind of, what a lot of artists or creatives do, you know, we, we, we set to, we don't, we don't try and steal something. We're just really, um, I don't know, influenced. And, and I really love that documentary. So kind of, that. but there's some mistakes with the editing. I didn't know what I was doing. I just, it just took a lot longer to find the angle and to also cut the fat out. And then um, the music took time. And then Buddy Peace, he's a really, he used to work with a bank of records. He came in and just helped me with the soundtrack. And that really elevated its production, but it was really exciting as well because it kind of had that edge I wanted to. And the response to it was good after that year when you'd done the edit and put it out? Yeah, <laughs> so it came out eventually. <laughs>
And Connor was relieved. <laughs> a year later, he's like, "What are you doing?" And then uh, so it came out, and it just it just um, just blew up. It just was on. It did all the usual sort of hype beasts and and street art blogs, and but then my boss at Sting Digital like tweeted it at the time, and then someone quite up at another agency tweeted it, and it was just like, "Oh, okay, well, that's crossed over quite quickly," and I had no idea. 40,000 people would watch it in the first week and I was like okay well I might be doing something right here and then um yeah I just had a lot of confidence after that and then Connor had a lot of confidence in me <laughs> and we had this film and it was and it was really exciting and also like I guess the other facts you know it's Connor's work and we're in the Middle East you know these are two things people haven't really seen for a long time so, and I just I didn't really I wasn't aware of that when I, from the beginning or, or to the end but it went down really well and then after that, I sort of was like, okay, well, this is what I want to do. You know, I was, this is really exciting. And I know I need to get like some more commercial work to balance it, but I want to be able to do this still and pay the rent and then kind of grow and see where I can go. Um, and then, yeah, I think I quit my job three months after that. And then uh, somehow luckily got a commission uh, from an agency called Intro to shoot street artists in Berlin for Foot Locker Converse campaign for a week. And Done. I, I quit, Amazing. quit my job. The next day I got that commission and it was... It was, it was meant to be. It yeah. Meant to be. Um, we're going to take a quick break now um, uh, after this short message, but after the break, we're very much going to talk about kind of um, your current work and, and how that comes together. Thanks for listening. I just wanted to take this quick opportunity to tell you a little bit more about Lecture in Progress. Lecture in Progress is a resource to help the next generation of creatives make better career decisions by inspiring and informing them of the breadth of opportunities that exist in the creative industry. Aware that the gap between education and industry is only widening, Lecture in Progress will help demystify the creative world we work in. We'll explain everything from the huge range of jobs that exist, how people got into the industry and how much you can expect to get paid, right through to how a project comes together and taking a look into the studios and workplaces in which they happen. We see Lecture in Progress being funded through annual membership, largely made up of current students and recent graduates. We're aiming to build a relationship with these members as the site grows and develops over the next 12 months, and we want to make sure that we deliver the content that they will find most useful and that can't be found anywhere else. Members to Lecture in Progress will get full access to the website and archive, become part of a network of like-minded individuals, they'll receive member-only offers and promotions and invitations to events, They'll also have the opportunity to apply for funding for creative projects. They'll be invited to studio visits as well as entry to our annual awards program. Please do check out the first version of the website at lectureinprogress.com. There we've put together a number of articles and resources that best demonstrate what we plan to do. You can also find a link to the Kickstarter campaign that will be running throughout October. We've tried to make it as simple as possible to get behind the project and hope you'll like the rewards we've made, many of which are only available on Kickstarter. Please do back the project and all being well, we'll be back on the 1st of January, 2017. Back to the interview. Hello, welcome back. Uh, I'm with Andrew Telling. Uh, Andrew, one of, so I really want to talk about kind of your current practice and what you do, but we need to kind of, um, we we kind of go to where we were chatting before the break to today. So what, what, what to you are those big, um, projects or moments or opportunities that kind of that that led you to where you are today um so we yeah we touched upon the Connor Harrington film uh, Crossing Lines 
that's that essentially put me out there and put me in front of more artists, more established artists, uh, and also uh, sort of agencies and just creators around there sort of put my name like, oh, this is a new filmmaker. And that's that really helped. And off the back of that, me and Connor, we went to Ireland. We shot a film more about him coming home and painting. Like, so we did more city and a more rural, rural location. Then I also went to Italy with Word to Mother. And we shot a film called Madre, which is him in this old sort of a abandoned town in the south of Italy. And he's just painting various walls, but it was a bit, bit more of a fun sort of travel log kind of film. Uh, I built up a little portfolio like that. And then um, in between trying to get corporate work and sort of doing landscape gardening and trying to pay the bills. That, uh, that classic uh, corporate work and landscape gardening that you don't hear every day. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was licensing music. I was making music for other filmmakers. Um, yeah, it, like someone offered me some landscape gardening. So it was just like, hey, it, it pays, you know. Yeah, again, it's an honest day's work, you know, like I'll just take it, you know. I'll take what I need to do to get, to get by and survive because I'm on my path now. I've made a decision, I quit my job. It's like, let's just get through the winter and let's see where, where we are at the beginning of the year. And then if not, I'll get a job again. But then um, I remember looking at Little White Lies and there was this advert by Rafa and they were, it was a film competition, like go and make a film on Rafa Condor Sharp in a training camp. Um, we're looking for new filmmakers. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not really into cycling, but a lot of my work features landscapes and uh, subjects and landscapes. And I was like, wow, that, that's perfect, isn't it? And the sport thing could be really good. It's a good commercial crossover. So I remember writing it when I was at home at Christmas, a real bad paragraph and a terrible five images and a, on a Photoshop page. And I sent it over. And then um, before I knew it, I was at Rafa and I had to present uh, my pitch and my five images to Benningham, uh, Alton, Bazier and Laura. Um, and I was terrified. <laughs> I completely messed up the presentation. I remember looking at my moleskin. I made so many notes, I couldn't actually read the pages. So I managed to skip that and I had to apologize because I was so nervous. But the one thing I had that the other three uh, contestants didn't have was I actually put a mood film together of uh, some work by some other directors and also a soundtrack that I thought would work really well with the tempo of cycling. And, um, and luckily I had that and I played it to them and I could kind of see that they got what I was trying to do. And based on the work I had shot in the summer with the Madre film and Connor's work, um, uh, Benning and Blessing was like, well, you can sell street art to me and I can really, I can really see how that works. I'm really into what you're doing. So I can see how you can take that to cycling. And, um, and yeah, and I remember getting the bus home and then I got a voicemail from Laura saying, well, yeah, we've got the, uh, you, you've won the competition. You, you need to go in two weeks. And, and Rafa, as a result, have played out to be kind of quite a big, kind of consistent client of yours. At that time, did you realise what it might turn into being? Was it the, the competition was just for one film, was it? Yeah, for one film. Um, and there was, uh, I mean, it was no budget, but they obviously paid for expenses. And um, yeah, I had no idea. Like, um, it was just really exciting just to go away. At this point, I've been doing all these trips where it's like you're away for a week by yourself. And it was another trip like that with a different subject. And it's really exciting. And and how, um, what I'm fascinated here is it's still, I guess this is potentially uh, one of the first jobs that was a for a commercial client where it's not, you're not just going, experiencing, documenting, and then 
kind of spending the next year getting an edit that kind of works. How do you, what are the, how did you feel you dealt with the pressures knowing of actually this is for a client who I think out of, I'd struggle to name other clients who have such a tight, consistent aesthetic. So again, it's, there's that pressure of what you're actually shooting and filming. And obviously they've, they've identified it in the, in the pitch and that conversation. But what do you remember from that first film of making sure that you were starting to be not more professional, but bringing something that you knew would, would, would end up being a, a film that they'd use and love? Um, it was, um, it was just small things. It was just like, I knew what, ca- I knew what camera I wanted to shoot on and I knew I wanted to shoot on prime lenses and I knew I just wanted free lenses not to not faff around too much. Um, and I just wanted to keep it light. And, um, and yeah, I mean, the, the beautiful thing when you're living with a subject for a week, you, you can just sort of be a fly in the wall and they get used to you. So there was, I had that kind of access and I was able to sort of, sort of, sort of become a bit more invisible as time went on, but then push the stuff they wanted. There was one thing we did create like a camera rig uh, to get a POV on the bike, which is way ambitious looking back at now and like super heavy. But John Herity, the team manager, bless him, he, he accommodated it. He accommodated my request. And I remember we stopped on this massive corner on the side of a mountain, but there's a huge sort of lay-by. And he made every rider have a go on this camera rig so I could get all the shots I wanted. And those shots are in the final film. Because that's incredible, because I think with a lot of the work, and I don't know this for sure, you can tell me if it's, if it's right, when you're doing the stuff with Rafa, you as the filmmaker are fitting in around what they're doing. This isn't a sh- this isn't like a promo shoot that you're going, okay, guys, right, let's do this shot again, that shot again. It, it always feels like it's a very natural observation as opposed to a kind of crafted storyboarded thing. I think with, with Rafa, like, I mean, there's, you have to pay credit to Ben Ingham and he's the reason why it looks so visually beautiful. So... I've already seen his films, already seen his photography and like having his blessing and meeting him and how nice he was to me just, you know, instilled so much confidence. But even to this day now, like we're, we're kind of shooting in Ben's kind of vacuum format and, and that's great. That's amazing. And, and also like a privilege, like, like we're kind of creating these beautiful films and we're allowed to add our own kind of aesthetic to it. But, you know, without Ben, like we kind of wouldn't be there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that's the right answer. But no, I think, no, totally. I think... Because, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm just very, I've become more aware of it recently, actually. It's like when every meeting I have, like, you know, we're all, I know you're commissioning different filmmakers and photographers, but we're all kind of, it's all around Ben, you know, and that's, and that's like, that is a privilege and really, and a really great thing because that's a great aesthetic to be able to work from and to maybe grow from too, so... So yeah, it was good to have that blessing early on. <laughs> no, and I think, again, it goes back to one of the first things that you kind of uh, mentioned in your work. It is that kind of family mentality. It's, it's, and maybe, maybe you can over-egg family. It's more about kind of collaborators that you trust and enjoy working with. And actually to, to establish that off the back of a competition is pretty special. You, you do that first film. Um, did you do the edit for that as well? It was... Yeah, yeah, I did. And the other thing, the, the good thing about that Raph, that first Raph film, it was, it was like it was the biggest thing I've got at the time. So, and it was really good. The pressure was on, you know, they needed it for May. Uh, and it was exciting because the film only had to be sort of two, three minutes. And yeah, it was just, it was good. And I was, ju- I was, ju- l- luckily I was juggling other work that wasn't landscape gardening. 
and um yeah i just and, but when it came out it was like the conor harrington thing but just amplified again but in a different commercial sphere and that's when people started to contact me and saying oh you're interested in doing this like or who you represented by and but then it was also good to see like Rafa were happy with it internally and just to see it on the Rafa on the landing page of Rafa for like two months like I was a massive smile on my face I was just like wow this is great to see your work on that platform so where does how long before Rafa then start the conversations to the next film and then how regularly did you end up actually uh, fortunately, James Fairbank uh, dropped me an email and was like, we've got a film in the Dolomites in Italy for another week, <laughs> filming our customers and one of our ambassadors. And, um, and yeah, that was, a, that was a real amazing film. And it was great because they, they gave me some money to do it. I could take an assistant. And yeah, like subject was great and the people were really good and the landscape was amazing. And I was, yeah, it was almost surreal. I just couldn't, be, I couldn't quite believe it. I thought like that was it. I generally thought, okay, you've done the Rafa thing now. You've had a good start to the year, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be it. And then, yeah, uh, six months later, I, did, I went and shot a Sense Coles Challenge, which is still on their site and still being used to this day. But from there, it's, I've done two films per year. So I've been working for four years now, but I've shot... I've shot everything. I've been really fortunate. Like I've shot Rafa Condor. I've shot Team Sky. I've, we've done Bradley Wiggins interview. I've shot Rafa Customers. Um, we're now in the process of where we're, I'm working with them more creative, creative wise to come up with treatments or like there's opportunities to document stuff, but then how do we turn that into a film, Andrew? So if anything, it's becoming more collaborative, uh, which is really exciting. But, you know, it's good. Like, like I'm a, I'm a fan. I've become a fan of cycling and of. Well, rapper, I was going to ask. It's amazing <laughs> that cycling's become part of your weekly um, schedule. Yeah. Cycling before Rafa, they they are kind of pretty wholly responsible for you taking up and getting us involved. The advertising worked. <laughs> That's what it is. That's their strategy. If, if one cyclist at a time, we're just going to commission them, get them to make some films. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the first two years, I was like, "This is cool. This is a this is a great subject, and I'm really excited by it. And it's a really what I do works really well for this. I was just so fortunate and grateful. And then, um, yeah, just the more I saw. And the more access I got at races and stuff, I just I just got super excited by it, and I just kept coming back to it, and um, and then yeah, I just got the bug. <laughs> like, fair play. Um, um, you say you've worked with them for four years now, and you said that kind of even uh, as you did that first film, landscape gardening was was part of your your uh, wages. Where during that four years do you feel confident that? you can make a career and a, and you can focus it's like not that you can focus on it but that it's like yes actually this is happening this is working you're starting to turn down work you're starting to be able to choose that stuff how long does that take for you personally to have that confidence um, well the first first that year was great I mean I just sort of put me out there and established but it was, it was really bad the year after like I, the phone didn't call and I, I, did, I didn't really know what to do and I had made some good work as well a couple of projects I was really happy with, but it was, it was difficult. Um, so I think the last two, the last two and a half years have, have been, have had more stability. And I think that's come from doing a mixture of personal projects and 
and growing commercially because no one's going to ring you up and be like, hey, do this big thing. You've got to, you really got to try and earn it or wing it or, <laughs> you know, you've really kind of got to grow your commercial work. And that does just take time. Like as, as much as um, patient I can be at time, it just, it takes time. And how, how do you choose the personal projects to work on? And again, is, is that, do you tend to try and collaborate? Do you set out trying to learn something new or to create something that you're proud of? Or is there a mindset of saying, if I do this, then I think it will lead to this kind of work? Or how, how do you approach personal projects? Um, I've been fortunate enough, I guess with Connor, we've done three films uh, around the world, <laughs> luckily. Um, and they've gone on to be successful with its recognition. But I mean, I'm still working with Connor to this day. We're talking about projects at the moment for this year. And I've, I've done a film with his wife, Chloe, and that was one of my favorite personal films. So it's always, the personal stuff, I guess, always collaborative with artists. Um, Do you think you need it for your own, uh, I was gonna say sanity, but maybe that's over the top. Do you need it for your own enjoyment of what you do or is it a stopgap between the commercial work? It's definitely not a stop. I need it for my own. I think you need it for various reasons. You need a challenge. You need to get out of your comfort zone. Commercial work doesn't always, doesn't really provide that because people are commissioning you for what you've done before normally. Um, so I, I need it. I need it just to be all right. Right. Let's throw everything out. Like, let's do something new. Like, oh, like, okay, we've done that. Let's not do that again. <laughs> like, you know, we don't need to, travel there and do that let's 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 come up with something different and um that's the way i see it but i do struggle um with trying to find a direction of personal projects i mean i, I envy photographers because <laughs> they can they can shoot these tests and they can do these things by themselves and i'm like man if only if only, <laughs> if only i chose that path but when i do do when i finally do get a project off it's the best feeling ever and i put so much into it fortunately enough i managed to I can get it out there and I can get it out there for people to watch it. Like that's quite rewarding, you know, especially with things like, obviously it's nice that create a review Vimeo stuff's picks. I mean, Vimeo stuff picks been huge in my sort of small career. Yeah. We, we notice it. It's like, um, the stuff that gets Vimeo stuff picks, you can add tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of views to something. Um, well, I was chatting yesterday to Tom Judd from Animate, so animation company, and they spoke about how Vimeo, or we spoke about how Vimeo has more of a kind of community as opposed to YouTube. YouTube's great as a kind of a search engine and just letting people play film, moving image. But Vimeo seems to have brought a bit more of a community together. Have you found that? Have you kind of, again, putting your work out there, the comments, the stuff that comes with it, have have certain things of Vimeo of other kind of social media played a part in people's awareness of you? Yeah, oh, totally. I think Vimeo is essentially, Vimeo is like my portfolio from day one before I had a website, you know? It's the thing that, the thing that tells you how long you've been doing this, you know? <laughs> well, a constant reminder every time you go to upload a new project, it's like you've <laughs> been- you telling? <laughs> you've been a member for seven years. You're like, wow, I'm that old. <laughs> but yeah, Vimeo is amazing. I mean, every time I've got, stuff pick fortunately like it's it's that recognition from a community and that you don't really i don't really see in other creative disciplines dis disciplines at the moment or like i mean i don't i haven't entered many like industry awards or anything like that like i've always i have seeked out vimeo staff picks and i've put my work forward because that's the kind of recognition you know i would like 
and sometimes you know you've got to you've got to put your work out there sometimes but it's i think that's been invaluable you mentioned there not entering any industry awards um we can't not talk about the volvo life paint which won a uh can grand prix last year's awards which is which we've chatted away from this um I think you look back on now as a much bigger deal than maybe at the time. Just briefly to, to kind of, um, before we maybe talk about that, that project, um, working with Gray, agency involved, it, it kind of, that's a, a step change in terms of the way in which you approach stuff. How kind of, how do you kind of talk about that project? Um, well, life, so I've, the goal has always been since quitting to become a commercial director. You know, I'm inspired by friends and other commercial directors, the work they do, that's always been the goal. So to do that, you need to sign a production company and then, then you start doing agency work and then, you know, your budgets grow and shooting out a helicopter, et cetera. Um, and life <laughs> Is that paint, the dream? Is that the pinnacle as soon as you get the helicopter? Deserts, mountains, <laughs> helicopters, cranes and trucks. You know, if the list is endless. Expo- oh, explosions. I really want to get fired. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, life paint. Again, it's like this right place, right time. So a year and a half before that, I've been struggling to win any kind of pitch i've been working with different production companies a really good reputation but i wasn't getting anywhere and i was getting so much rejection and then suddenly i have a meeting uh at caviar and they're really interested in working with me and then four days later i write a treatment for the script from gray and then i'm in the agency by friday so within one week all this stuff's happening after like 16 months of rejection and then before I know it, we're shooting this film a month later and I'm shooting it with like my best friend, like, um, who is also my DOP, which was great. But we just, it just happened like that. And we're just like, right. And then like you're on these big conference calls and you're on a shoot and there's more agency people than there are crew. And then you're trying to shoot it like a documentary, but there's so many people, it's not a documentary anymore. And then stuff goes wrong, stuff goes right. And then you're getting all the res- results. You turn the project around. The film has to be finished the day on your birthday. <laughs> so you're like, right, I just need to get all this done. And then you're trying to line up all the next That must have been a projects. good night to get a project out on yeah, the day of your birthday. It was greater than my birthday. I remember I had to leave halfway through because I had to go to another pre-production meeting. But it was, we go with a French guy called Julian Biard. who's really good. Um, I worked with him a lot, but that was a really nice way to finish the project. Um, but it was, it was a great experience. Like the creatives are really fun and they had this idea for a long time. So I think for them, it was like, we need to get this out and let's get it out. And then, um, so it, it was a whirlwind of like four or five weeks and it was an amazing experience, but I, it was the right project for me. But I, you know, I couldn't have told you that was the right project for me ever. It just, I was just in the right place, right time. I had the work from Rafa. I had some other commercial stuff and I had enough experience for Caviar to feel comfortable for me to go in there. So, you know, it was just really just the right place, right time. And the funny thing is like, we finished Life Pain. Two days later, I, we go and do a job for Berghaus in the mountains again <laughs> for uh, nine days. And that is <laughs> even more intense. And I come back and my friend texts me and he's like, have you looked at life paint? I was like, no, I haven't. It's like, it's had 2 million views. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like what? 
I'm like, what? Because, you know, when you finish a project, you're so tired and you can't, you're so lost in the woods, you know? Yeah. And then to come back and to see it on every site and to be like, all oh, right. And then obviously like, you know, it's, it's great. It's, it's really good. And I've never, I've never made a piece of work where that met many people have watched it. And that was really exciting and interesting for me. But, I mean, also Life Paint is fair play to the, to Gray and the creatives there. Like it's, it's, you know, it's an ingenious concept and it's a great idea. For anyone that doesn't know the concept, it's a, it's essentially a spray that you can spray on anything, clothes, uh, helmets, bags, shoes and everything. It, in natural light, you can't see it. And then in the dark, car headlights basically just illuminate whatever it is. And, and like you say, it is genius. And I think it's, I think it's credit to that film and explaining that technology and everything. But it's, it, I think it's, it's like all good stuff. It's everything working together. I think you can't have a great filmmaker and shit content. It, no one's going to watch it. And to the same extent, great content, but with poor filmmaking, it doesn't quite resonate. It's all those things coming together. Two million views. I mean, that's pretty amazing. It does, how do you, how do you then, I mean, do, do, can you judge the success of your work through YouTube and Vimeo plays or what do you, how do you, how does, how does your portfolio of work when you reflect back on it, how do you identify the success of it? What, what are the key kind of factors that come, come to mind? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I think for, I mean, after when that happened, I was having, I was on a good role for with projects anyway. So it sort of, I hadn't really had time to sort of take it in. For me, it was, a, it was great because it got me signed to someone who wanted to get signed with. And that relationship felt uh, is really good. And that was really important because that's been a long, that's been a long journey to find a home essentially. And now to sort of grow even further as a filmmaker. So, but I think looking back at it like a year later, it just, it's that, it's that thing like there's, there's films I've made and there's bits of press that I've been lucky enough to have where you feel like, oh, wow, like that's, that's going to be with me for a long time now. And, and I'm, I'm really fortunate, you know, I'm really fortunate it's happened. And actually, I'm really glad I put everything into it because like how Life Paint starts and all the locations we shot, you know, are really sort of relevant to me as a cyclist, but also as a filmmaker. So um, yeah, there is that really nice coming together of, I, I think I'd probably naively uh, not recognise the cycling element as much as... But then it's interesting, James didn't know I shot it when he wrote the article. Ah, right. And that's, I guess that's another thing also, like looking back, you, like I remember looking at the credits list and at that point it was like, whoa, <laughs> this is like, this is a huge thing. But that's why it's, it's really exciting to be involved in that with all these people and then it goes so global and then to have so many people contacting me from a, around the world about it and then all these other doors opening up, it's it's exciting time to be. And not just the same kind of ideas, but just different types, different types of projects and stuff. And to know, the other thing is, you know, to know that you can work on the agency level because it's not, it's not as dream-like and as Hollywood as people think, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, and, and obviously kind of a lot more pressure, kind of... Um I'm trying to frame this in the best possible way, but essentially to be blunt, it's like, is the money noticeable there? Is, is it game changing? Is the, is in order to do that job compared with um, the work that had gone before, is it noticeable or is it just actually the amount of stuff that goes into it? That's why there's loads more money, but actually you personally, it's not necessarily that much different. 
there are bigger budgets, but there are also smaller budgets that I'm still surprised to see for certain projects. Um, and yeah, sometimes it, sometimes it, you know, sometimes it's good to have a bigger budget because you can kind of do what you want want to do. And smaller budgets are fine because that's where I've come from. You know, I've come from trying to make this map, this small budget look really good. And I kind of sort of brings me to another point. I get tired of people. I wish people wouldn't be like, oh, it's all you've got, you know, like, let's, <laughs> what can we do with it? You know, that's, like, that's, that's my uh, general approach to things at the moment. Like, what can we do? How can we make this really good? How can we make, you know, what camera can we use to make this look really good? That's kind of what I'm interested in. Or like, you know, who's the best colorist to bring into this or an editor, you know, like, that's like, not be so disheartened about how little budget is because everyone's having that problem, you know, like, let's just embrace it. No, I'm, I, I couldn't agree more. One of the best talks I heard was from Mother at Offset maybe two years ago and, and the creative, I think it was the creative director there, basically gave a whole talk on how the smaller the budget, the bigger you kind of, they found that they got to push things more and test things and there isn't the kind of, well, look, we're spending all this money, better be good, better be exactly what we want. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the the Cannes Grand Prix. In the, it's a big deal. It's, uh, it's uh, to be... Um, uh, recognized in that way have you got your can line have you have you got does it does it take pride of place I somewhere should, I've, se- I've seen it <laughs> i've seen it um it's uh yeah it's but it's you know it's a it's a shared success isn't it it's it's gray and it's caviar and it's myself and also like the people that worked for me on that project too you know i, I, I still work closely with some of them so it's for us it's part of our journey still so um but yeah, it's it's a it's a different world to what I'm used to in my my daily life. <laughs> um, I, we we're kind of we're almost out of time. I I wanted to touch briefly on um, you talked about dealing with rejection, kind of until that Volvo job came through. I think I'm also right in saying that that you kind of inferred that the that commercial work is where you kind of want to go and that's what you want to be doing more of. How how do you think? Do you kind of now prepare yourself for the rejection when putting these pictures together or do you still go into each one going, yep, this is something I really want to win and I'll deal with it as and when it comes? Or has it, how have you kind of grown as a, as a creative when putting those pictures together and are the ones that you're kind of, you have to live with that rejection and disappointment for a bit or are you kind of upbeat and it's onto the next, the, the, it will come? Um, it's just a mixture. Yeah, of course, you, of course you get a bit down about it. Like <laughs> rejection is not easy to take and no matter how, I'll face you eye about it. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, but I think for me, it's the, my process has changed a lot the last year and a half. It's like I'm I'm doing a lot more writing now and a lot more visual research as opposed to still lugging the camera around, which I do, I still do. But it's I think that's that's helped me deal with it in a way where like I know I have to. I've just changed my approach a bit, and I have to sort of hence the bike rides and sort of changing the the way I am but it's yeah I mean it's part of the industry there are a lot of filmmakers out there these days and the competition is it's tough but it's also healthy you know there's still some great work being made you know and I think you just need to be optimistic that your sort of time will come but you still just yeah you just have to keep chipping away but it's the balance of doing the personal projects which I think fits in with this time as well where you kind of 
it's good to say no for a bit and just go and do something else because it's good just to make a film like you maybe used to do three, four years ago. Yeah, bal- I think balance increasingly comes up when we talk to people. It's I think when you know when that balance isn't right and I think you've got to kind of recognise it within yourself. Uh, my last question um, today is looking back on kind of everything that we've, we've talked about um, and that time, is there anything that you'd do differently? <laughs> um, yeah, I get a part-time job <laughs> that isn't gardening. <laughs> um, that's pretty good if that's the... That's, that's, just that's, get a part-time job and uh, just to create some stability, I think, and to take the pressure off. And I think that will enable you to make some better decisions when jobs do come in. I think that's my only advice. And also have an accountant. <laughs> Always. Sound advice. Sound advice. Priceless. And don't do everything yourself. (laughs) Brilliant. I'm kidding on the last bit. (laughs) Thank you, Andrew, for your time today. Thank you, Will. A big thanks for listening to this episode of Lecture in Progress. The music and sound for this podcast was produced by the wonderful Zelig Sound. Zelig produced some of the best original music and sound design for commercials, TV and films. Check them out at zeligsound.com. Do check out the rest of the series on the website at lectureinprogress.com. Do follow us on Twitter at Lectureinprog for updates. And please do support the Kickstarter. Thanks for listening.